You're listening to Real Presence Live. Now, back to more inspirational and uplifting stories and a look at the extraordinary things happening in our local area. Heard right here on the RPR Network. Good morning. This is Father Brian Christensen. I'm Karen Kibis. We are co-hosting this morning here on the feast of St. Pope John Paul II, um, live from the... Rapid City. Oh, well... The Our Lady of Perpetual Help Studios, high above oh, Cathedral Drive in the Black just, Hills. I'm going to make you a sign for your office that says it's, that. It's the Our Lady of Perpetual Help RPR Studios. And we've had a wonderful first hour <laughs> of Real Presence Live with uh, Bishop Cousins, the new bishop of Crookston in Minnesota, and then uh, the unique and amazing uh, story of Father Ed Venorni, a uh, priest here at the Diocese of Rapid City. Um, we're going to turn our attention uh, to the feast day itself and our... Um, Beautiful saint of the day, um, Pope St. John Paul II. Um, we are joined by two uh, priests, uh, Father Roger Landry, a priest of Fall River, Massachusetts, now working in New York City, and we'll get a little more background on him, and also Father Sam Martin, priest of the Diocese of La Crosse in, in Wisconsin. Good morning, Father Roger. Good morning, Father Brian. Good morning, Karen. Good morning, Father Sam Martin. Father Sam Martin, how are you this morning? Great. It's uh, this illustrious company. I'm not worthy, but it's good to be here. <laughs> so full disclosure, Father Landry, Father Roger Landry, and Father Sam Martin uh, are classmates of mine from the Pontifical North American College. Uh, we were all ordained priests in the year of 1999 uh, on the advent of the Great Jubilee of 2000. So, um, Father Roger, would you tell us a little bit about uh, yourself, your priesthood, and your current assignment? So I am a priest of the Diocese of Fall River, Massachusetts. Those who know a little bit about the East Coast, that's southeastern Massachusetts, Cape Cod, and the islands. So a lot of Portuguese Catholics there. I worked as a parish priest, as a high school chaplain, and I was a newspaper editor for the first 16 years of my priesthood. And then in 2015, I was asked to come to New York to help out in the work of the Holy See, so the Vatican at the United Nations representing Pope Francis and the Church, uh, and trying to bring the light of Catholic social teaching to the problems and the questions that the modern world has. And so for the last almost seven years, I have been working very hard here in New York City, uh, doing diplomatic work and, 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 and similar things, to try to allow the Church to be the salt, light, and leaven before the international community that Jesus calls us to be. When we were ordained, we received the Great Commission to go to preach to all nations. And I have the easy task of doing it all at the same time here in Manhattan. <laughs> For sure. I don't know if it's an easy task. You just have to have the audience right there. Um, yeah, I think, you know, thanks for joining us this morning from New York and taking time out of your uh, busy schedule. And I think... Uh, being with you on another occasion might be a whole other show to understand a little bit for our listeners oh. um, the role of the Holy See in diplomatic relations and especially the particular role that um, the Nuncio plays in, in New York at the United Nations. But we'll come back to that another day. Uh, Father Sam Martin, how are you this morning? I'm doing well. Yeah. I, yeah. I do a show with Father Roger, I'd give yourself at least uh, five to six hours, I think, <laughs> uh, everything. <laughs> I know, we're going to have, when the break comes up on these shows, we're going to have to just cut it right off, right? We've got to cut it off. But, uh, so you're in lacrosse. Uh, tell us a little bit about your priesthood and where you are now in your assignment. So 
I was a high school chaplain for 11 years, two different schools, and then charged the high school seminarians for a bit. Uh, and now I've been a pastor for the last 10, uh, two different assignments. But um, that's, you know, in terms of uh, stability, you know, kids come and go in a school. You know, you just get to know them and then they graduate and move on, which is the way God wants it. Mm-hmm. But there's more, uh, you get to know people on a little bit more uh, permanent basis, you know, and you see the full gamut of human existence, you know. So our background in marriage and family, I can, uh, you know, kind of, live that part of my priesthood out more fully in the case of a parish, which is a school of prayer and all the things that um, our late great Pope said about uh, parish life. So it's good to be here. Yeah, no, thanks. Um, You shared a little bit about our background. The three of us attended the John Paul Institute on Marriage and Family at the Lateran University in uh, Washington, D.C. And uh, the Holy Father, Pope John Paul II, uh, was the priest, uh, was the Pope at the time that we were studying. So being at an institute after his name, studying marriage and family in the shadow of, of, the, of the Vatican and there at the Pontifical University. Um, could you share a little bit about the influence uh, of Pope John Paul II, his life and his, uh, his uh, teachings on your own priesthood, Sam, Father Sam? Yeah, I... I think, uh, first it was in Rome, I think you said D.C., but anyway, uh, his influences, I mean, for all of us living at that time, it manifests in various ways, but, you know, Weigel gets it right, you know, he was a man who was a witness to hope, and I think that, uh, you know, given all the struggles of our world and things seem so complex, but frankly, they're rather simple, that marriage and family is uh, always the barometer, uh, the litmus test, if you will, the rise and fall of civilization, so if we can help our couples to get married, stay married, to find the, the joy of their vocation and to be open to be, you know, always trusting in the Lord and His providence, especially in the children that He wants to send. Uh, there are many affronts to marriage and family, and that just shows that we live in a spiritual universe. And the devil is threatened by what God's plan, and so the devil can't create, but he can mar, disfigure. Uh, he can't really destroy, uh, because God has drawn a line that cannot be crossed, even by the evil one. So it's always a uh, a life that is, um, you know, there's always this tension between God's ways, which are mysterious and maybe not our ways, and then the the, the plan that is uh, unfolding when the evil one gets his way, which he preys upon our selfishness, our fear, our self-reliance. He knows all the ways that uh, human beings want to, to be independent, and uh, rigorously so, and that doesn't lead to any great happiness or, or peace. So I think, you know, the Pope had a vision. He experienced uh, so much evil in his life and the totalitarian regimes and so forth. But he knew, you know, because of that, he could see that uh, this is what God intended. And then he wanted to give the world uh, a chance to see with eyes that were fresh, uh, to give another look that we uh, had taken these things maybe um, for granted or maybe we got tired. And uh, he was a man that was a witness to the hope that comes for those who subscribe to the gospel. Yeah, no, beautiful, beautiful. Uh, Father Roger, uh, what kind of influence did Pope John Paul II have on your own discernment of, of your vocation and your priesthood? John Paul II, outside of Boston sports stars, was by far my first hero. You know, he was elected when I was an eight-year-old kid, and I, I remember watching it on television, not really knowing all that it meant, having no idea, of course, that he would become... Um, my spiritual leader for the next 26 years and seven months. But uh, when he was elected in 1978, it already fascinated me. The next year, he came to the United States, as you remember, and his first stop was Boston, close to where I grew up, and it was pouring like 
anything that day. And so my family decided we were not going to go down to uh, wade through the mud at Boston Common, but we watched a fix this mass of this courageous successor of St. Peter in the middle of torrential downpours, speaking to everybody about the rich young man, about somebody choosing for Jesus, all the rest, with so much enthusiasm. I've never forgotten that moment and was ensconced that in him, he was a sign that Jesus Christ still exists. And so from that point forward, I had uh, a confidence that the gospel was made for our age. Not everybody is immediately going to accept it, but we should be bold like St. John Paul II in proposing it to the people of our age. That influence, uh, yeah, I had thought by the time I was four that God might be calling me to be a priest. And so I looked at John Paul II as a particular model of an engaged priesthood that stuck with me throughout high school, throughout my years in college, and then we may have a chance to talk about it a little bit later, but the opportunity to really meet and chat with John Paul II during our preparation for the priesthood in Rome is still one of the most extraordinary experiences of my life. And so more than any other priest, St. John Paul II motivated and influenced the way I approached the priesthood. Yeah, I just remember uh, myself as a young boy, the death of Paul VI. Right? You know, as a Catholic kid, you know, you, you kind of pay attention to what's going on in the church a little bit, right? You, you know, but the death of Paul VI, and I just remember that, and okay, that, that I guess, you know, Pope's died, you know, that was the first time <laughs> I remember, have any recollection of that, I was just eight years old or something, and then um, John Paul I is elected, um, great, all right, and then all of a sudden John Paul II died, you know, within 33 days, and uh, now that really, really got my attention as a young boy, um, and watching um, Carol Wojtyla John Paul II step on to the loggia. I remember that so clearly as a as a young boy, um, and and now now I was riveted to to the Pope and to the Church in a way that um, I was just kind of opening up my mind to all things. And then ha- having no idea that as a young boy that this uh, man was God's chosen shepherd for His Church for now all the way through my life into my, into my early priesthood. Um, what, a, what a tremendous blessing for me and, and I think for, for all of us uh, to, be, to be led uh, on that. Yeah, we'll get the chance a little bit later to talk uh, about that. But, uh, Father Sam, like your initial kind of, your initial kind of encounter or, or awakening to, to John Paul II, what, can you recall that? I'm a little younger, not to, you know, pick on you at all there, Father Brian, but uh, I do remember uh, his assassination attempt in 81, uh, and my parents were, you know, very sincere in their faith, and I just remember we were praying for the Pope, and then, uh, you know, I wasn't able to follow it all that closely, it's not like I saw anything on TV, but I knew that the Pope had been, we were praying that he would somehow, his life would be preserved, and it was, and then the big splash was his uh, meeting Aliasha, his would-be assassin in prison about a year later, and forgiving him. And then reading later that, um, you know, it was a kind of a one-way street that he'd forgiven this man who never really took responsibility, never really said sorry. Uh, but even so, the example that, um, that the highest form of, of love is mercy. And uh, that uh, reconciliation is when it's mutual, but God extends mercy to people that sometimes aren't even sorry. But he extends it anyway, believing that his love is greater than, than even death. And, of course, it's proven by uh, the crucifixion and, 
his resurrection from the dead. So I guess for for me, when I was young, here's the you know the Pope, who is really the only Pope of my life at that point, uh, it has been shot. So there must be like good and evil. I mean, I said, who shoots the Pope? You know, what's he done to deserve this? Mm-hmm. And then he goes and meets the man and forgives him. And I thought, uh, like Father Roger was saying, that the gospel is real. I mean, this stuff. It applies, and uh, and it's also then as we get older, then we see how difficult it is to forgive, and we see that, uh, especially meditation on the stations of the cross and things of that nature, that uh, that this is going to require grace. No one does this on their own, and that's the first thing, uh, once again, George Weigel would point out, is the Pope saw himself as a disciple, a follower of Jesus. That's the defining characteristic of who he was for his whole life, and he just happened to be asked by God to serve as a vicar for Christ in this world. So um, that's my, my earliest Yeah, I know it. Yeah, it's a powerful image. We're going to take a break here on Real Presence Live. Uh, we're speaking with Father Roger Landry and Father Sam Martin. We'll be back after the break to continue on this feast day of St. John Paul the Great. Stay with us. There's more Real Presence Live to come on the Real Presence Radio Network. Hey, this is Mark Holcraft. And this is Dr. Joseph Holcraft. You know, Mark, Jesus asks 307 questions in sacred scripture. He has asked 183, of which he only answers three. What's the business with all of this questioning going on in the Bible? Well, Joe, there's a lot there, and we'll be ready to take that on. Tune in to hear about these questions and more on Awaken, every second and fourth Wednesday at 7 a.m. Central, here on Real Presence Radio Network. Hi, I'm Father Chris Alar. In this world of suffering and pain today, we've all experienced some kind of loss, especially the death of a loved one. There's an opportunity for us to still help them, however, and I invite you to please visit our website, suicideandhope.com. If you have lost someone tragically, please enter their name. You do not have to put their full name. You can put initials or a first name or even a nickname. But I will personally pray for each and every person whose name is entered onto that website in memorial. I will also say a Mass every month for these people, imploring God's mercy upon the salvation of their soul. So there is no obligation, there is no cost. All we ask is that you bring your heart and the love that you have for your loved one to our site, list them there, and allow us to pray for them. Again, suicideandhope.com. Hi, this is Dr. Ryan Sapo with Lumen Vision in Fargo. Lumen Vision offers eye exams for the whole family, contact lenses, glasses, and vision therapy services. Our specialized vision therapy program works to improve how the eyes work together as a team. We work with our patients to improve reading difficulties, lazy eyes, eye turns, and focusing problems, which can be detrimental to performance in the classroom and on the job. You can learn more about our mission at Lumen.Vision. Lumen Vision is a proud sponsor of the Real Presence Radio Network. You're listening to Real Presence Live on the Real Presence Radio Network. Join the conversation on our Facebook page or on Twitter. And be sure to like and follow us for more great Catholic content. Now, back to the show. Good morning. I'm Father Brian Christensen. I'm Karen Kibis. We are Real Presence Live here from Rapid City, South Dakota. We're on the line with Father Roger Landry from uh, the United Nations in New York City and with... 
Father Sam Martin from the Diocese of Lacrosse. Both of them attended the John Paul II Institute for Marriage and Family Life in Rome at the Lateran University, um, where uh, we were classmates uh, at the North American College in Rome, ordained in 1999, um, and uh, studying together uh, marriage and family life uh, with the guidance uh, of the, that institute uh, founded uh, after the um, Synod on the Family um, by St. John Paul II. Um, Father Roger, uh, Tell me a little bit. You you spoke about the way in which you felt called to the priesthood and 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 the spiritual fatherhood of Saint John Paul II. Um, in your priesthood, what kind of influence or what kind of um, yeah uh, inspiration has um, Saint John Paul II provided you as a, as a pastor, as, a, as someone caring for souls and and sh- and sharing the good news of the gospel? probably got an assist on every good thought I've ever had as a priest. Mm-hmm. Um, because I read so much of what he wrote and listened, even in person to what he said, that it formed the way I look at the entire world. So to just take a few, his first words enunciated 43 years ago today, don't be afraid, has influenced, I think, my boldness to have confidence in sharing even the unpopular truth of the faith with confidence as good news, because John Paul II did. He was a pope who prioritized mercy, and so I'm a missionary of mercy appointed by Pope Francis, because I think, as John Paul II said, we're now living in a kairos, or a precious time of mercy, and so I try to very much continue that work. The third thing is the three of us went to the John Paul II Institute for the Study of Marriage and Family because I'm convinced that what JC2 saw, that in a world in which so many notions of love are fallen rather than flowing from the faith, what we need to be able to do is we need to be able to show and articulate the true yes of Christian love in terms of marriage, family, sexuality, and children. And John Paul II has done that better than any pope of all time. And so when I was making a choice of what to study there in Rome, I wanted very much to be able to take the torch lifted high with great ardor by John Paul II and try to bring it into my area of the vineyard that the Lord would entrust to me uh, as, a, as a credible witness. The second to last time I met St. John Paul II, right before we were returning home to preach the gospel in our diocese, I asked for and got an appointment to be able to go to his uh, morning mass and then greet him afterward. And I described our time at the John Paul II Institute, how I studied his great book, Love and Responsibility and Theology of the Body, and that I hope to spend the rest of my priesthood popularizing his ideas. Because mm. both of you remember, his hands were very soft, and my hands were in his hands at this point. And then he really squeezed my hands and said, Sinceramente gratie, thank you, sincerely. And I said, no, 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 thank you, Holy Father. Yeah. But he was so great. He was so grateful for people to carry on his great life project, which, as he said in the book-length interview, was to introduce love into love, to introduce Christ's own purified love, what we would call in theological terms, agape, into the human experience of romance and eros. And so he's thoroughly influenced everything that I do, but including my priestly priorities. 
Yeah, no, how beautiful. I, I, I have to laugh, you know, uh, I, I remember coming back as a priest and some of the things of his early priesthood um, um, inspired me so much. You know, his focus on building community and, and working with students and, and sharing both a, a, an outdoor life and an intellectual life and a life of, of faith and spirituality in the life of the church and really shepherding these these college students. And, and even when he was called to uh, be uh, the auxiliary bishop of Krakow, he was out on one of these events uh, with his uh, young friends um, and called back. But, uh, you know, you see these pictures of him celebrating Mass uh, on, the, on an upside-down you know, uh, canoe or whatever, and, and in beautiful chapels. And, and, um, and he reflects upon that and gift and mystery. And I think for me, initially in my own priesthood, um, besides the wonderful, beautiful um, theology and philosophy of, of, of the Holy Father, it was also his pastoral example that I wanted to, to walk in those footsteps and, and to create that kind of community uh, of intellectual fraternal spiritual growth and development so i really was deeply influenced by just that example plus i want to ski and, and go canoeing and <laughs> those kind of things he, he also enjoyed well you know it's my pastoral responsibility to get out on the slopes right. once in a while right, so. father. uh father sam uh you know the way that your uh your relationship with the holy father being so close to him for those uh, five years that you spent in, in Rome um, and being at the John Paul II Institute for Marriage and Family, what, what kind of influences would you say that um, he had on your own priesthood or continues to have on your priesthood? Yeah, it's great. It's a walk down memory lane. And, you know, sometimes there are things that you've learned that are shelved away and uh, and they just, like the Ignatian repetition, they just keep coming back. So Father Roger pointed out that, you know, they do not be afraid. And I think the Holy Father was a man of great courage. And that, of course, he knew fear. He experienced it. It was all around him. It was in the world then, and it's in the world today. And it's of all the things that we struggle with. I mean, you think about pride and, and selfishness and so forth, but fear is really at the heart of a lot of struggles in the spiritual life. And he was a man that could face that fear because he had discovered a love that was a vibrant, merciful, potent love. And he found that this is a man that um, this integration of the mind and the heart and so forth, I mean, sometimes our faith can be cerebral. It's just in the head and it has to have its reasons, you know, to give reasons for our hope, St. Peter exhorts us to. But it also is a matter of the heart. And John Paul was a man who was passionate. I mean, when he would speak, it was the kind of stuff that, uh, you know, the adrenaline would start pumping. And this is a guy that there was a lot of virility in him. He was a man's man. He was priest, priest, and he was, he was unafraid. I mean, he was a man that had to face death and face all these things all of his life. And he lost his mom and then his brother and his daddy. He went through so many struggles, so many hurts that he... It brought him to Christ and him crucified, but a power that is not of this world, a power that redeems this world, and a power that uh, we, you know, seek it in the wrong ways. I mean, we, we just uh, we want all these things, uh, money and, and so forth, so that we won't have any fear, and that doesn't work. So it's embracing our own fallen and nature, our brokenness, our, our frailty, our weakness, and then giving that to God and seeing how he redeems it. So uh, he really was, uh, you know, just... A role model, you know. Even if you didn't always understand some of the things that he wrote, uh, you know, I the reason I got my degree was thanks to, to both of you. I mean, I wrote your coattails. You guys know that, and I can call <laughs> it publicly now. But uh, <laughs> but I but I could see in this man, you know, a saint is an icon. A saint is is pointing it. It's the reminder that the visible world is the tip of the iceberg. It points to something far deeper, 
and a saint points to a communion that is uh, a profundity that we only begin to taste and see in this life, and then it's, of course, fulfilled in the next. So this was a man that uh, was fully alive. Uh, you know, in his prayer life, is uh, always spoken about how he would prostrate himself in front of the Blessed Sacrament, and that's where his strength was, and that never changed. And he went through a lot of things, and uh, all the, the work that he did, and as he was getting older, he taught us about the gospel of suffering and how it can be redemptive and how it can make us kind and empathetic. He showed us all these things. I mean, he spoke and wrote, and but in the end, he lived. He was a true disciple, and I think that, um, like each of you have said in your own way, that leaves uh, a lasting impact that uh, has inestimable worth. Yeah, no, it's so beautifully said, as, as we are walking down memory lane, I mean, I'm sure many of our listeners, too, had various experiences of the Holy Father, um, whether, whether that was on a television uh, encounter with him or one of these amazing events here in the United States, a World Youth Day. So many people were impacted by World Youth Days over the years with Pope John Paul II, or their own pilgrimages uh, to Rome. Uh, Father Roger talked about being, having his hand pressed by the Holy Father in that dialogue that he had in his chapel or just outside the chapel. Is it, was there occasion, Father Sam, that you remember being in the Holy Father's presence at, at an audience or at a Mass or some other occasion that really struck you? Probably not as often as Father Roger, because he is before me alphabetically, so he'll always get there just before me. But, just um, ahead. Anyway. <laughs> and close the there, door uh, behind me. <laughs> close right. the door. Pull up he the did. ladder. It was always very exclusive. Uh, but I, my brother was uh, thinking about being a priest at one point, so he came down from Louvain, and it was just before Christmas, so we went to a private Mass. And both of the Parks brothers, uh, who are both bishops now, they were there, too, so you had these two sets of brothers. So anyway, we met the Holy Father, and it was, you know, real brief after Mass and the similar experience that Father Roger describes. But I just remember when, um, you know, he looked at us, America, happy Christmas. <laughs> happy I wanted Christmas. to say, well, that's uh, it's really not the way we say I wanted to say, well, then, Merry Easter, you know. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> but you, you know, you don't correct the Holy Father. It's the Queen's English, and so be it. So, but we just kind of chuckled. We said, yep, yep, uh, happy Christmas, uh, uh, but beautiful how, you know, at that point, I mean, when we were there, the physical suffering is pretty obvious. And yet, this is a man that wasn't thinking about himself. And, you know, humility is not thinking less of ourselves. It's just not really thinking about ourselves. We're so taken up in, in our work and in God and His love for us and the mission that He's given us that we, there's that kind of a, a charitable self-forgetfulness, you know, that He lived and uh, He just had work to do. And He knew that His physical limitations slowed him in some areas, but like he said, he, he didn't run the church with his body, with his mind, heart, and soul, and, um, um, and he did that well. Yeah, no, thank you. We're going to take a break here, I'm visiting with uh, Father Roger Landry and Father Sam Martin. I'm Father Brian Christensen. I'm with Karen Gibis. We'll be back after the break to continue our discussion and our trip down memory lane with St. Pope John Paul II. Live, engaging, and local. This is Real Presence Live, where we bring you positive and uplifting stories and share the great things happening in our local area on the Real Presence Radio Network. Hello, this is Mike Kidrowski, Director of Advancement for Real Presence Radio with a creative gift planning tip. Do you want to make sure Real Presence Radio continues to receive your support in perpetuity? 
This can now be accomplished by establishing an individual endowment account in your name with a minimum gift of $10,000. A distribution will be made annually in your name to assure future generations will continue to hear the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ through the mission of Real Presence Radio. To learn more about establishing an individual endowment for Real Presence Radio, a gift which will last in perpetuity, please call me, Mike Kidrowski, at 701-290-4503. State tax credits may apply in some states. Let's get started. Searching for more great Catholic content? Visit our website at realpresenceradio.com. Find Catholic news you can trust, information about events coming up in the local area, and the latest on what's happening at the RPR Network. And don't forget that you can listen to any of our stations around the clock from anywhere in the world. Need prayers for someone or something in your life? You can submit those through our online form for the entire family to pray for. Real Presence Radio, your family of faith and hope. Online at realpresenceradio.com. S.J. Machine, proudly named after and dedicated to St. Joseph, provides quality machining and induction heat treating to a variety of industries. Just as St. Joseph worked diligently to meet his family's needs, S.J. Machine strives to understand and meet your production needs. Prototype to production, working together towards success. S.J. Machine can be reached at 701-347-0155 and are a proud supporter of the Real Presence Radio Network. This is Real Presence Live on the RPR Network, bringing you stories of faith and hope through local hosts and guests from across the Upper Midwest. Now, back to the show. Good morning. I'm Father Brian Christensen. I'm Karen Gibis. This is Real Presence Live, and we're having a great morning here from the sunny Black Hills of South Dakota in our broadcast studio of Our Lady of Perpetual Help, high above Cathedral Drive. <laughs> We're visiting with Father Sam Martin of the Diocese of La Crosse and Father Roger Landry from the Diocese of Fall River, Massachusetts. And we're reflecting uh, on today's saint of the day, um, Pope St. John Paul the Great. St. John Paul II. Some call him the Great. Um, Sam, Father Sam, would you call him the Great? Well, I, mean, I guess you can unofficially. I mean, it's one of those subjective things that he certainly was great in the uh, definition of the word. So, uh, but the church is slow to, to give these monikers. I mean, it's like um, there are a lot of stories about when John Paul I took first after his name. The chief historian of Rome wrote to him and said, "You can't really be the first until there's a second. And he wrote back and said, "Thank you uh, for the correction, but uh, I'm not going to be here long if the second comes quickly." It's some sort of like a, a prediction. So uh, anyway, and he was right. Uh, Thirty-three days later, and uh, and. He went home to God, and now John Paul the Great. So if um, with certain company, uh, you guys are very kind in South Dakota. I don't know if I would say this around well, folks from New York. They're a little more critical. So, uh, But we got <laughs> Father Roger. So. Father Roger, um, you know, Father Sam brings up the point about John Paul II, John Paul I putting the first in front of his name. Uh, there's a story uh, that uh, the great father, Reginald Foster, tells about his trying to correct John Paul II and his signature. Do you recall that story about the, the J and the I? Sure. So in, in classical Latin, there is no J, but there is a, an I, and so the way that you should write um, Ioannes, which is the Latin for John in the John Paul, 
would be I-O-A-N-N-E-S. But he, John Paul II, had written it with a J. And so uh, Father Foster sent down a note and said, non-S, J, Latine. There's no uh, J in Latin. And John Paul II wrote back, quad scripsi, scripsi, which were Pontius Pilate's words at the trial of Jesus, uh, when the Pharisees said you shouldn't write that Jesus is the king of the Jews, he said, what I have written, I have written. <laughs> and so JP, JP2 used the J, and that always sucked. Uh, That's because awesome. what he had written, he had written. Yeah, quad scripsi, scripsi. That's so great. That's a great story. Uh, John Paul the Great, the moniker Great? Well, interesting. Like, there, there are three popes who are traditionally referred to as great. Leo the Great from 440 to 461, Gregory the Great from 590 to 604, and then Nicholas the Great from 869 to 874. And each of those were Leo the First, Gregory the First, and Nicholas the First. And so it's a little awkward historically that it would be the second, especially since two weeks ago Pope Francis received the miracle that clears the way for the beatification of Pope John Paul I. Mm-hmm. At the same mm-hmm. time, I would say that any of these other three figures who have been declared great had two main characteristics. They were extraordinarily important figures in the Church, and they were extraordinarily important figures in interacting in the world. And so if you were looking for those criteria, Carol uh, Wojtyla from Krakow, John Paul II, would clearly meet them. And so I would not be surprised if in the future a pope actually names him great. And so you, 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 the whole way that process happens is that one of his successors has just got to use in a formal setting that John term. Paul the Great, and then and then it and, and then it sticks. Right. And Pope Benedict came very close on a few occasions where he said, "My great predecessor, John Paul the Second." of happy memory, etc. But they, they just haven't used it yet, because I think in humility they want to wait to pass the test of time so that in future decades people will recognize that as uh, momentous as we recognize John Paul II's pontificate was when it was happening, it's even greater in the passage of years. You know, can you, uh, while we're uh, kind of on this topic of the name, the Holy Father's name, could you just expound a little bit for our listeners on why John Paul I, John Paul II, why this double name? We haven't had that in the history of the Church. In the history of the Church, there was no double name. Like, the popes always took their baptismal name when they acceded to the throne of Peter until 527, when there was a person who was named by his parents Mercurius, became what we would call John II. Mercurius Mercury is the name of a pagan god, and nobody thought it was fitting to have somebody named after a pagan goddess as his as St. Peter. So when he, was, uh, when he was elected, he took the name John II. And so from 527 up until this point, the successors of St. Peter have always taken on a new name because there's a reality in them that died and a new reality that's come forward. Mm-hmm. John Paul mm-hmm. I said he took his name in order to show the continuity in the two pontificates that immediately preceded him. So he wanted to finish the work that John the Twenty Third had started and that Paul the Sixth had started, and their main work, which they both shared in, was the work of the Second Vatican Council. And so to take both of those names as a compound name was to show that he was the successor 
of that great project of the Church in the modern world. And John Paul II, when he was elected, wanted to continue what John Paul I himself had set out to accomplish. Yeah, no, just a really beautiful, just in the name to carry out an understanding of his mission. Father Sam, uh, uh, as we're we're listening to Father Roger Landry uh, speak in six-point font um, and getting it all in in a short period of time, John Paul II has an incredible, massive um, corpus uh, of teachings and, and reforms that he accomplished within the life of the church. I mean, we think about the catechism of the Catholic Church, uh, in, in the universal catechism that was, you know, first in like 400 years since, you know, after Trent. And when we think about the reform of the Code of Canon Law in 83, encyclical after encyclical, synod after synod, um, reform of, of seminary life and seminary formation, pastoris dabo vobis. It, it goes on. It's really hard to wrap your mind around all that this um, Holy Father and his pontificate uh, accomplished in, in those 26 years or so. Um, anything that sticks out for you as you, you kind of ponder um, the immensity uh, of the work and the mission and the um, evangelical and catechetical uh, care that John Paul II uh, accomplished? First, I gotta apologize. I've been a little bit distracted. I thought Mercurius was 521 AD, but anyway, we'll come back to that some other time. I, uh, <laughs> I think Father Roger, he's just been licking his chops, waiting for an opportunity like this. I'm like, gosh, how does anybody know all this? But um, and, and of course, our late great Holy Father would be uh, so happy to have Father Roger, you know. On well, the air talking about him. So we are happy to have Father Roger that. on the team of the church for sure. Right, for sure. absolutely. So uh, I would say, you know, in terms of all the things the Holy Father wrote, I mean, for those of us who uh, want to just kind of have some understanding and uh, the breadth of it and then the profundity of it, I think Weigel is as good as anybody in just kind of taking those encyclicals, for example, in his book, Witness to Hope, and then giving you, like, here's the, the nugget, here's the spiritual insight, here's what the Holy Father was trying to accomplish at that time, which is still relevant for our times. It will be, you know, long into the future. So there are a lot of things that he wrote. Uh, I think these days probably most people have heard about the theology of the body, which was uh, to give a chance to the idea that when two become one and three to make a marriage, what did God have in mind? What is love? I think Father Roger talked about the counterfeits, of which there are many, about love, but we're all, as human beings, something we have in common is this desperate desire for love, to give and receive, and to have it uh, not necessarily on our terms. I mean, we, we've, many of us have lived that way and found that to, to not be so satisfying and fulfilling and leaving us with shame and guilt and, and wounds that we cannot heal. So what is love? And uh, the divine revelation that we have uh, is that love is not a thing or an object, it's a person. That's not what God does, it's who He is. And he, by our very nature, he's created us in his image and likeness. So the Holy Father really tried to give the world another chance of Paul VI, uh, who was also canonized as St. Humanae Vitae, and the idea that, that love should be open, marital love should be open to life, uh, that these things weren't so well received at the time. So the Holy Father did his best to give us another opportunity to reconsider that this is what God had in mind. This is what he shares with us. Uh, creation is God's prerogative. It's his power, but he allows us to participate, which is a remarkable thing. Uh, a man, a woman can become a husband and wife and then a mother and a father. This is like the analogously that people say, well, how can priests forgive sins? We can't, except that God has given us this power, but it's His. God and God alone can forgive sins, but He's delegated, He's 
through laying on of hands, passed down century after century, a priest can say, I absolve you, and Jesus is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. So anyway, that's a, a little bit of a circuitous route to get back to the point that theology of the body, uh, all those encyclicals, they're helping us as human beings to discover who we are and how to find joy and peace in a fallen world. We're homesick here. We're not in heaven, not yet. But even so, uh, the Christ's kingdom is not here, but he is a king, and he wants our hearts. How you know, as you say, you speak of this. this I mean, this heart of his teaching with regard to marriage and family that uh, comes out in theology of the body. You know, uh, we've talked about George Weigel in his great book, uh, The Witness to Hope. He says that theology of the body is like this. Uh, um, what is he? A time bomb ready to explode in the third millennium, right? And I, feel, I still think it's it still has its time, right? I mean, we still need to preach that. How does Father Sam? How is that affecting kind of your pastoral care in your parish? Um, on a day-to-day basis. Does that influence your pastoral care, your teaching, your catechesis, your work with couples? Pretty well, I would say all day, every day, in, in you know, <laughs> subtle ways. But, uh, you know, in the confessional and the way that we help couples preparing for marriage and the way that we counsel people who are struggling, it always comes down to the, the, the desperate desire for love and our inability sometimes to receive it. We... As St. Thomas Aquinas said, the thing is received according to the mode of the receiver. Well, that's the receiver. You and I, and each person, we're wounded, we're damaged, but not destroyed, so we can be redeemed and healed by God. So the idea that the Holy Father was trying to help us to get to the, the heart of things, you know, that, to, so that we could make our choice, make our, our, you know, our pledge to God, to give Him everything, not just dance around and do some things on the surface, but to really get to the... The, the desires of our heart that are fulfilled in God and in God alone. So uh, there's this movie, I'll just a quick anecdote about uh, the president, what was it called, Dave, back in the 1990s with Kevin Klein and uh, Gordon Weaver. And anyway, uh, Kevin Klein looks like the president, but he's not. Anyway, at one point, the president, the real one, has a, a stroke that's debilitating, and so he's out of commission. So they get this other guy just to play the part of the president. Nobody knows except the Secret Service and a few others. Not even the First Lady knows. But at one point, and she and her, the real president, but kind of, kind of estranged, you know, they don't really talk much, but at one point she divulges that she knows that this guy is not really your husband. And he's like, well, how'd you know? And she said, well, you remember that time in a limousine? Uh-huh. Yeah, when that my skirt fell off my knee? You look. And my husband stopped looking years ago. <laughs> and I think that's what the Holy Father, you know, was trying to get us to look again. Look mm-hmm. and see how we're made. And, and for what reason we were made? For love. Real love, not, you know, some selfish, you know, kind of, uh, I'm afraid, I'm just desperate, I'll get what, take what I can get, and, and just that's as good as it gets, so I'll be satisfied, and who cares? No, I mean, the Holy Father was getting us to look again, to see. That's, you know, what faith does. It's a way of seeing. And the Holy Father, uh, Pope John Paul the Great, he could see, and he was inviting the world into that, uh, that experience of God. Father Sam Martin, Father Roger Landry, we'll be back after the break uh, here on Real Presence Live to continue our focus on St. John Paul II, St. John Paul the Great. Hi, I'm Father Chris Alar. If you have lost anyone to a sudden or tragic death, you can still help them. Please visit our website, suicideandhope.com, and memorialize those that you love. 
There is no obligation or cost. You can simply enter their first name, initials, or a nickname, and I will personally pray for them and have a Mass said each month. Please, again, visit suicideandhope.com. The people love and respect me without knowing really anything about me. They love and respect me, not because I'm such a great guy, but because I'm a priest and because of what God can do for them if I'm willing to be generous and obedient to Him. And so that respect, I remember I was about 30 years old, and uh, and there's, there's these 70, 80-year-olds coming and asking my advice about things, and I'm kind of like, you guys have lived way more than me. They go, but, but you're our father. You're our father, and, and we want to know what you would advise. Uh, so, so the humility and uh, the, the trust and the faith of the people would probably be the, the biggest thing in a, in a general way. Presence Radio is available on Google Assistant devices, including Google Home, phones, tablets, and smart displays. To start this action, say something like, Okay, Google, talk to Real Presence Radio. It will then ask what station you want to play, to which you can respond, Play Sioux Falls, or Play AM 970, or Play WWEN. From there, you can use words like Play, Pause, and Stop. Listen to RPR anytime, anywhere, on Google Assistant devices. You're listening to Real Presence Live. Now, back to more inspirational and uplifting stories and a look at the extraordinary things happening in our local area. Heard right here on the RPR Network. We're back. Real Presence Live from Rapid City, South Dakota. I'm Father Brian Christensen. And I'm Karen Gibas. I'm holding the couch down over here listening to this absolutely fascinating conversation. We're with Father Sam Martin and Father Roger Landry, classmates of mine from the typical North American college. Uh, all of us ordained but an amazing class uh, in 1999. Um, and I'm speaking today about the influence of Pope St. John Paul II uh, that he has had on our lives and the life of the church and in, in the world um, and a lasting legacy, and, and as a saint, someone who continues to intercede for us and inspire us, um, obtaining the graces that we need as, as pastors and, and as people of God as we make our way through this life. Um, I I uh, was speaking with Father Sam just before the break about the influences of the Holy Father's amazing and I would just say gigantic and enormous corpus of, of writings and teachings and reforms within the life of the church. Um, we named our catechetical institute here in Rapid City some time ago, Veritata Splendor, the splendor of truth. And um, the lines of that uh, encyclical uh, begin with, you know, the splendor of truth shines forth in all the works of the creator and in a special way in man created in the image and likeness of God and, and, and the truth that... Um, sets us free and, and really focusing on that beauty uh, and goodness of, of the truth revealed in Jesus Christ. Uh, it, it, Very Tidal Splendor certainly has had a, a huge influence uh, on my own priesthood and, uh, and the formation of this great catechetical institute here in western South Dakota. Father Roger Landry, um, it's hard to narrow this stuff down when you kind of begin to consider the many, many facets uh, of the teachings of John Paul II and, and the many things that he accomplished over such an extensive pontificate. But uh, as you think about it, what are some of the, the great writings that come to mind for you? 
Well, I think in terms of influence, um, his theology of the body um, will pass the test of time. In terms of reform in the Church, both his redoing the Code of Canon Law and the Catechism, as well as the renewal of moral theology and Veritatis Plano, which just cited, will have a long influence. For me, though, I think the most practical um, exhortation or encyclical that he ever wrote is the one on the meaning of suffering from the perspective of Christianity. He called it salvifici dolores, on the on salvific suffering. And in it, he describes something that we all confront in ourselves and others. What does suffering mean, and why does God permit good people to suffer such harm? Not just physical harm, but sometimes violence from others, hatred, etc. And so he enters into the book of Job from the Old Testament and the suffering of that great Old Testament figure, and he eventually gets to the answer, which I have always found the most eloquent thing he has written in his entire almost 27 years in his papacy. He says, suffering exists to unleash love in the human person. And he meant it in two ways. First, when we're suffering, we've got to be humble to receive other people's help. One of the problems for us as Americans is we think that we don't need anybody else's help. I'm independent. I'll pick myself up from my bootstraps. But when we're suffering, sometimes nurses have to change our bedpan. We, like, somebody's got to bring us a cup of water. We can't do anything. And what happens when that occurs to us? We become grateful for all the other gifts that people have given us from our parents onwards, where we never really adequately appreciated them. The second way suffering unleashes love is it forces all of us to make the choice about becoming a good Samaritan and crossing the road. We can either be like those two first figures in Jesus' great parable who stayed uh, as far apart as they could from somebody who was dying in a ditch, or when we hear their cries for help, we draw close and we reprioritize what's really important, and we make the time to love these people who need love. That expression of St. John Paul II, suffering exists, to unleash love in the human person has thoroughly influenced not only the way that I look at personal sufferings, but the way that I try to bring the light of Christ to the darkness of suffering and pain that almost every Christian endures. Yeah, no, thank you for sharing that. Uh, yeah, uh, again, the amazing insights that he had because of, one, his his intellectual acumen, his capacity for doing theology and philosophy, but also his personal experience that he's able to enter into these realities of human life and live it to the full and, and reflect beautifully on it and share that good news of the gospel. Uh, tremendous, tremendous in, in so many different areas, but especially as you point out, Father Roger, in uh, Human Suffering. We should probably get our classmate, Father Peter Harmon, uh, in on this discussion on suffering. He wrote his uh, doctoral thesis on that at the Alfonsianum, I believe. So, um, Father, Father Sam Martin, you're still with us. I am. It sounds like, I mean, this must be New York in the background. I hear a lot of It's definitely New York in the background. It is not Rapid City in the background. (laughs) We hear sirens and all sorts of things going up and down, uh, yeah, over there. And so love is being unleashed in downtown Manhattan. Yes. No, I mean, you know, we were speaking, the, the sense of suffering. And people come almost every day. 
whether that's in the confessional or pastoral counseling uh, and, and visits to the hospital or nursing homes and, and human suffering, um, we all go through it. Some of it's more obvious than others, you know, for people, but uh, understanding where is God in all of this and, and where does he come to, to reveal himself and, and to open us up, um, as you said, to receiving and to giving love uh, through thanksgiving and mercy. So, Father, Father Sam Martin, uh, coming back to you, uh, um, your, what, did, what was your influence in choosing to enter into study in marriage and families? Well, I, I love what Father Roger, you know, the mystery of suffering, and uh, I was just looking for guys I could, you know, gain the most amount of redemptive suffering, so it just it was you guys, obviously, there was just no doubt. Uh, so, for, again, you know, full it, disclosure, we drove together every day for a, a year to school together, every morning, uh, the three of us, um, and uh, yeah, so we uh, learned to, to love even those who are most difficult in our life. <laughs> right, right, it was a good... Uh, stretch for greater glory. But in the ordination rite, you know, that, that great line about model your life on the mystery of the Lord's cross. And we saw a man that was doing that all the time, every day, that by the time we got to Rome, Pope John Paul was an older man. And, the, you know, the suffering, the injuries that he'd endured and so forth. Uh, so I, I guess when, when my bishop at that time said, you know, would you be interested and he wanted to send somebody to the JP2 Institute, it was like the easiest question that I was ever asked. Because for a lot of us, as Father Roger mentioned, you know, John Paul was a, was a hero. He was a guy that you wanted to be like that. It was like, you know, you'd see people like Mother Teresa, and you'd say, that's, that's it, Lord. I, I don't know how to get there, but that's the way I want to love. I want to, to be able to put my own hurts aside and my own desires and, and live for someone other than just me. And we could see that in John Paul. So when I was asked to consider it, it took me, you know, a few milliseconds and then to give my consent, but absolutely. And well, it's been a great. It's been a great influence. Uh, right. It's been a, he's been a great influence on you. He's been a great influence on Roger. The, the our studies together were a great influence on me. And I and I know that it continues to be uh, something that continues to work in the life of the church and through his intercession that we rely on for years to come. We're gonna have to take a break here. I'm gonna send it over to Eli in the studios. Eli, what's coming up? Hey, thanks, Father. we got another great show coming up on Monday morning, 9 to 11 a.m. Central, here on the Real Presence Radio Network. That'll be hosted by Father Randall Kazel, coming to you from St. Michael's Church in Pine Island, Minnesota. He'll visit with Anna Crane from Northland Family Programs about a movement to raise awareness about women's health. Then Oscar Delgado will share about a film about life after death. Plus, Father Chris Alar will talk about how October is a special month for the church. All that and a whole lot more is coming up on the next Real Presence Live. That'll be Monday morning, 9 to 11 a.m. Central, here on the Real Presence Radio Network. Right back to you. Thank you, Eli. Well, Father Roger Landry and uh, Father Sam Bart, we're going to have to wrap this up. we got uh, just a few uh, moments left to, to say our final parting. But if you wanted to just share um, briefly, just you're, you're in front of your congregation, you're in front of the people, you're in front of our listeners here at Real Presence Live. Um, what do you want them to take home today with John Paul II? Father Roger. St. John Paul II was a tremendous model for all of us of spiritual fatherhood, on the basis of which every priest and every biological dad can learn how to share that extraordinary gift of life and encouragement to everyone who is entrusted to our love. Amen. Father uh, Sam Martin. 
Yeah, here's the guy that showed us the communion of saints, especially the Mother of God, and uh, she, you know she was such an influence for him. And so, all those who pray the Rosary have any devotion to Mary or any of the saints. Here's a man that did that too, and showed us the power and the glory that comes through that acknowledgement that we need others too. Amen. Thank you for joining us, Father Roger Landry, Father Sam Martin, Karen. We're going to wrap it up here for Real Presence Live. What a great show today. Thank you, Father. Yeah, what a blessing. I wish uh, the blessings of uh, our Holy Father, Pope John Paul II, Saint the Great, upon all of our listeners today. May you know his love and mercy in Jesus Christ. Amen. This has been Real Presence Live on the Real Presence Radio Network. Real Presence Live brings you inspirational stories of faith and a look at the good and holy things happening in our local area. Weekday mornings from 9 to 11 Central. Tune in for an encore of each show beginning Saturday morning at 6. Get the podcast anytime of day or night at yourcatholicradiostation.com or on the Real Presence Radio app. And remember, you can be a part of the conversation through Facebook and Twitter. Real Presence Live. Local, engaging, and live on the Real Presence Radio Network.